Welcome to Debating Metal. As always, I'm Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and my co-host is Chris K. Today, we're starting something we're calling MVP LVP. The premise is we will choose a number of bands and debate who their most valuable player, MVP, and least valuable player, LVP, is in each band. And today, we're starting with the big four of Thrash, Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax. When it comes to our favorite bands, we have our favorite person in the band. And sometimes we even have someone we can do without. Today, Kenneth and I are going to discuss exactly who those people are and why we feel they are the most and least valuable members in those bands. In this case, as Kenneth said, we're covering the big four, specifically the classic lineups of each band. And when we're done, we'll give you our big four favorite, big four members in order of our favoritism. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. Chris, today is it's a new thing. We haven't done anything like this before. Um, MVP, LVP. Um, so as, as we just explained what the premise is, this is going to be interesting because this is, again, going back to what I said a few weeks ago or a few episodes ago, put it that way. We're, we're actually going to be debating things, and, and I think that's where we need to, to push the show towards. And this was a really good one because, you know, this this entire show, the premise of the show is centered around the big four. Um, and so we're taking the big four and we're breaking them down to who our favorite uh, or our, what we feel is the most valuable. It doesn't even have to be our favorite. Who we feel our most valuable player is in, the, in that band and who our least valuable player is in that band. I mean, shit. For me, the one of the least guys might be my favorite player. Who knows? I mean, that's fair. And that, that's why I thought it was interesting to distinguish that. Like we talked about what we were going to do if we're our big four this week. And I said favorites. And to me, that, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the most valuable person in the band. Sometimes you have an attachment. Like we just recently talked about Kiss, right? And, you know, my favorite member of Kiss is Eric Carr. I don't think he's necessarily the most valuable member of, of Kiss, but I really like the guy and I liked, you know, his spirit and his. Um, you know, his gung-ho attitude throughout the entire time he was in that band. So for me, he was a favorite, but not necessarily the most valuable player. Exactly. And, in, and you know, looking at the names, obviously we know all these names and the only band that is a five piece is Anthrax. So we're looking at 17 people uh, based on the classic lineups. And in, in the case of Metallica, we're doing the Jason Newstead era. Because that was up until the Rob era, the Rob Trujillo era, was the longest running portion of Metallica that didn't change lineups. So, you know, we're looking at 17 guys, um, five in Anthrax, four in Slayer, four in Metallica, and four in Megadeth. And, you know, it's only four guys. So who's the least valuable? Who's the most valuable? It's It's... It could be someone still just as valuable, but he's the least valuable of those four, you know, so, or five. So this this is going to be an interesting conversation. Uh, So I think we're going in order of the the big four, uh, the concerts that they did. Uh, So it'll be Anthrax, Megadeth, Slayer, and then Metallica at the end. Um, and so we're going to, like I said, we're going to go with the classic lineups of the band. So that would be, um, with Anthrax, that's going to be Joey Belladonna, Dan Spitz, Scott Ian, 
Frank Bello, and Charlie Benanti. I think most people would know that. I would think most people would know that, but you know, if you're not a big Anthrax fan, you probably <laughs> don't. Right. So, um, and I don't mean most people like in life. I just mean most people that listen to the show. <laughs> Like, I'm not going to call my grandma and be like, you know, what's the classic lineup of Anthrax? Hey, she better know. She better know. Oh, she doesn't. (laughs) Man, we got a quizzer. Um, And that, that, that lineup was together for, oh God, eight years. I mean, 1985 to 1992. 1984, technically. So yeah, 84 to late 92. So So late, yeah, late 84 to late 92. So yeah, eight, uh, eight years. Um, Put out some of their biggest albums, Armed Armed and Dangerous, Spreading the Disease, Among the Living, I'm the Man, State of Euphoria, uh, Persistence of Time. So some of the, those are some of their biggest releases. Oh, you know, absolutely. And, the thing, the thing with Anthrax, and so I, I became a fan of Anthrax uh, when I saw the video for I think it was I Am the Law. Uh, it was either I Am the Law or, or, or uh, Indians, and I mean, I just it, it, the the speed, the attitude attracted me to them right away. I went out and I bought the record. And, you know, they're they. they picture in the back is the five guys in the subway and you know the subway was something that you know i was familiar with because that's i didn't grow up near the subway but i took it plenty of times (laughs) to get to new york city um so i was very familiar with it um so there was something about it that just attracted me to it i had already been a fan of metallica i was already a fan of megadeth was already a fan of slayer Slayer, not as big a fan. I think, um, I think I, Slayer and Antex relatively around the same time. Maybe Slayer first because Rain and Blood came out first. But um, anyway, I'm I'm a really big fan of Anthrax, and this this classic era is obviously the, the classic era for a reason. I mean, I love the John Bush era, but there was so much turmoil during all those years. It's true. And, and now, now Joey's back as as a singer, and he's been back for, fuck for ten for eleven years. Um, that's how fast time flies. <laughs> it's, it really it's, does. It doesn't feel that long. No, it's this, crazy. This synth has been longer than the first one. <laughs> There's so many weird things, like you know, Rob Trujillo is the longest you know bass player that's been in Metallica. Um, I mean, look, Kiko Larrero just left Megadeth. How how many years was he in there for? Seven. You know, was it that long? Wow, something like that. I mean, think about it. It's just wow. It's crazy. You know, but I don't know if I was if I'm exactly right on that. But um, anyhow, so for me, um, my MVP for for Anthrax is Charlie Benante. Okay. Now I love love is is a relative term. You know, I really really admire charlie i admire scott i admire frankie the three of those guys you know charlie and frankie being family uncle and nephew and you know and scott they i mean they are anthrax with without a doubt and obviously scott is anthrax because it's scott's band um he started the band you know when charlie joined it became more solid uh then you know frankie came after you know, Neil Turbin decided to fire uh, Dan Lilker. So 
you know, the three of them have been together since basically 1985, 84, 85. And uh, even Frankie left for a while uh, to join Helmet and then eventually came back. I mean, that was pretty short stint. Yeah, but, you know, he, he left. Still happened. He felt, yeah, it still happened. He felt like he needed to do something different from the band. And they were arguing a lot at that point. You know, there was so much turmoil with the band in, in, in the 2000s or, you know, the late 90s and early 2000s that it's understandable that uh, that if if the band had broken up, it would have been like, oh, I can see why, you know, with all, you know, changing record labels every time they change their underwear, you know, and, and, and album, you know, getting dropped, you know, literally the day it comes out, the album, you know, the, 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 the record company goes bankrupt. It's like, what? Yeah. You know? So it, it's, it wouldn't have surprised me if the band would have called it a day back in, you know, in whatever time period that was in the late nineties, early two thousands. I mean, didn't they technically break up briefly in 2007? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it was, it was considered an official breakup or not. They, they had their turmoil because they, you know, you're talking about when, when, uh, when with all that stuff with, um, with Joey and John or with John. Yeah. There was the stuff with Joey and John. And then it was like, they, they really didn't do anything for a while. And then they, they brought in Dan Nelson um and so like there was this this period of time where i don't know if they were officially broken up but they just they did they weren't doing anything at all i think i think that period of time was they they were basically looking for a singer um weren't in any rush to to find a singer um Mm -hmm. and you know they had gone through what they went through with with you know john leaving because they invited Joey back for the alive, uh, the reunion, and then you know they fired Joey again, and then they brought they brought John back, and it was just kind of getting ridiculous. And that was a favor, yeah. You know, yeah, it, it, they made a lot of mistakes during that time. Oh, they made a ton of mistakes, yeah. but you know, getting back to the main topic, you know, Charlie Benante, the reason why I consider him the MVP of the of the band is, you know, obviously Scott, it's Scott Ian's band, but you know, not a lot of people. And, and, and I, when I say not a lot of people, look, there's a lot of people that consider themselves insiders. There's a lot of people that consider themselves, you know, I know everything I need to know about anthrax. I know everything I need to know about heavy metal and all that stuff. But if you're not that into it, if you're just a casual metal listener, or you're just a metal listener who listens, but doesn't really dive deep into the lives of every single person in every single band, you're not going to know that Charlie plays guitar. And Charlie is one of the, you know, is, is a main songwriter in the band. And, you know, it's Charlie who wrote a lot of those classic riffs that came out of the eighties. The um, yeah. And so, you know, and it was funny because he didn't like showing off playing guitar to the point where I think, um, when I saw them in 1987, you know, in, in, in Miami beach during the among the living tour, there's a part in time where they brought Charlie out playing uh, a guitar to, to play. I, I don't know if it was, I'm the man. I'm not sure because Charlie, no, it wasn't because he's running around with a, with a hat and a microphone. So there was something, Oh, I believe they played living after midnight at the end of the show. 
and they all changed instruments. So Joey went to play drums. I think Charlie was playing guitar. Scott was on bass, something like that. You know, it was, it was everybody switched and they played and they played like a cover song. Scott went from rhythm to, to lead guitar. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and it's funny because it's, it's, uh, I, that is literally a, a, a memory that just popped into my head right now. I haven't thought about that in quite a long time. <laughs> and so Charlie for me is, is that, is that valuable player because he is a, a huge part of the songwriting process for Anthrax. So, you know, yes, Scott is, is the, is the mouthpiece for the band. But Charlie is the silent but deadly riff killer <laughs> in that band. <laughs> so who's your MVP? All right. So I'm actually going to agree with you. Uh, my MVP is also Charlie Benanti for, for pretty much the same reasons you said. But also, um, the man is a phenomenal drummer. I mean, um, you know, he proved that when doing, you know, his, his part in the, the recent Pantera reunion shows. Um, but that's not really what we're talking about, but it just, it's just more proof that he is. Um, he is an amazing drummer. Like to me, when I, when I first heard Anthrax as a kid, I wasn't as much into them, but I had never heard drumming like that. I mean, he was, he's amazing. You look at like, um, you know, among the living alone, you know, you, if you've ever watched a drum playthrough of that, um, it's incredible. You know, especially if, when you think about the context of the time period and things like that. So, um, he is an amazing drummer. You're right. Like he's come up with some great riffs. He's, he's a multi-instrumentalist. He's just a funny guy. Like, you know, his attitude is infectious within the band too. So like, um, you know, it's for me when I, when I really thought about it and, and what I did, you know, partially through this was I actually looked up tabs uh, of each each instrument to hear, you know, like you hear it in the music itself, but it's always also interesting to see hear the isolated tracks, and just you know when I compared different different parts to each other, I was just blown away sometimes, like just hearing those isolated tracks. So um, for me, it's Charlie as well. While I'm while you were talking, I'm sitting there listening to you th thinking about Charlie. I forgot one other really really important aspect of of his uh, contributions to anthrax. He's, mm -hmm. he's also an artist. So a lot, oh, that's true. A lot of the artwork or at least the art direction was based on his inspirations or, or his ideas. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, the, I am the law cover with judge dread is his drawing. And so it's, uh, you know, like he, like persistence of time, the 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 way the the twenty fifth anniversary or thirtieth anniversary of persistence of time is his actual vision of what the 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 cover was supposed to be like, but because um they were running out of time and budget constraints, the original persistence of time cover is what came out, but the one that came out on the anniversary edition was exactly the way he wanted it, which was the melting clock as opposed to a full round clock. So it, there's a lot of vi of his vision that's in all of the artwork. Yeah, he did the um, the kiss um, tribute, the 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 kings among Scotland. Yes, not kiss tribute music, but kiss tribute image uh, that was like rock and roll over. Yes, 
Um, and he, yeah, he's an artist in general. So like you can look up a lot of the things he's done. Um, he's actually a pretty, pretty decent artist. No, he's very good. So it's, it, that's another thing. So his, his, his artwork and his art ideas are also a, a major contribution to the band. So that is, uh, another reason for him being MVP. Mm-hmm. All right. So my least valuable player, my LVP. Uh, for the classic lineup. <clears throat> now this one, it almost kind of lent itself to being very, very simple. It, it, for me, it's Danny Spitz. Now, Danny Spitz, lead guitar player. So all those leads, every single one that you hear on every single Anthrax song from 1984, from Fistful of Metal, all the way up to Persistence of Time and all the live albums, that's all Danny. Okay. So is is a lead guitar player the least important player in the band? No, he's actually very important. But when you're coming down to the five guys that are in that band, to me, he was the the he is the least valuable. And you know, Scott convinced the other guys to to fire Joey, making Joey the least important player in 1992, 93. But that's that was a mistake you know, that, that they regret now, but, um, something that I guess they had to go through, but for, for me, Danny Spitz, I mean, his guitar work is great. It's phenomenal. Um, you know, he's a, he's a big teenage mutant Ninja Turtles fan. He's a big cartoon guy. He's a big comic guy. Um, and you know, now he's a professional watchmaker, um, which is pretty cool. Cause he like makes some super high end watches. And he, yeah, that's, that's always interesting to me. Like, take a, such a career divergence. Oh, I know. Something like that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and his son apparently has autism. So he's been in a band, like, a, he's been in a Christian band that, um, they wrote some, they wrote songs about autism and, 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 you know, contribute that way. So it's a, it's a very interesting career change. You know, he still plays guitar, but, uh, you know, he is, his profession is watchmaking now. So that was that's my LVP. Um, so I went a different way uh, this time, um, and so I kind of have to preface this a little bit. So um, let me say, I guess not preface, but um, let me just say who it is. So it, mine in this instance was Frank Bello, um, and I would say over the years, though, he got to be a much better basis, and I wouldn't necessarily call him that now. Um, the only reason I do, do think he, it was back then was if you listen to say the, like the isolated tracks, the bass parts aren't really that interesting in the early albums. Um, some of them are, but I think he really developed as a player and as a personality, he was younger than the other guys in the band. Um, a lot of the stuff that, that, you know, early on was, was Dan Loker, um, who unfortunately was was fired from the band uh, due to all the turmoil with Neil Turbin, um, and it is what it is. Like it worked out how it worked out, and I think Frank is is much better player now. And I really love his personality. Like I loved seeing him when he was on that metal show. He's he you know funny guy as well. Um, but at the time, like it comparatively, I think he he had some of the weakest parts in the band. Um, but past that classic lineup, I would probably have a different opinion. I think Dan Spitz's parts were were better in general. Like he's a great guitar player. Um, you know, 
he had a lot of attitude and just like a good feel for the band. Um, a little bit older, so he had that confidence as well. And I think for the classic lineup, for me, maybe maybe the second, you know, it after Frank, but um, yeah, just uh, during that time period for me, it was Frankie. So you you basically so you listened to some of the isolated bass tracks uh, from the early albums. Yeah. Okay. I can see, I can see that. I mean. His bass playing to me improved dramatically from from so I would say State of Euphoria on because he obviously was doing some incredible stuff. Agreed. Like that's time. that that's really he really where he started. Like like Persistence of Time is the strongest album that he plays on, um, uh, at least from that classic lineup. Like the stuff he did in in Sound of White Noise is absolutely great. And especially like now, like everything from We've Come For You All beyond um, the last two albums, like Worship Music and For All Kings, his parts are phenomenal. So like, that's what I mean in saying, like, if you're talking about the classic lineup, I think he's the LVP. But if you were to talk about it today, absolutely not. Like he is, he is not the LVP. Okay. I see that. I can see that. All right. Well, you know, we, we veered off, but you know, for for me, you know, I mean, Danny's a good guitar player. I'm never going to say he's not. You know, mm-hmm. I just think, I, I don't think for me, he did anything that was going to sit there and say, oh, he made Anthrax. You know? No. So. I mean, to me, the two, the two guys that make Anthrax are obviously um, Charlie and Scott. But, you know. That's also very debatable. There's a lot of eras of Anthrax. Yes, so. yes, there are. Yeah. All right, so that brings us now to Megadeth. The ever so Megadeth. <laughs> Why don't you go first for the MVP on this one? Okay. Um, I mean, for me, it's it's hard not to pick Dave Mustaine. Um, you know, he's the voice of the band. He's the main songwriter. Um, you know, his solos are fantastic, obviously. Like everything that he did with with Marty trading off solos back and forth are amazing. Uh, Marty himself being amazing. That whole lineup is just phenomenal. It's really hard to pick, you know, just one in in either category because I feel like they were really, you know, um, they were just a solid unit at that time. Those four guys, and you know, Dave is just like. He is Megadeth. I mean, and for for more than you know, just the reasons of the the silly ahaha, uh, like he you know he rules the band with an iron fist, and that's true. It is his band, um, but he's also the sound of the band. He writes so much of the music. He's able to be amazing lead guitarist and rhythm guitarist, and you know this lineup put out some of their best albums. So I mean I, I agree with you. I agree with you because I mean how can anybody else be the most valuable person in Megadeth? Because it has to be Dave Mustaine. Um I mean it could be if you don't if you just don't like Dave's voice, <laughs> right? You you might pick somebody else because like let's say Marty Friedman, because you know, you'd love his guitar playing or something like that. I cannot I can totally understand somebody but but like for me i love megadeth so i'm gonna pick dave (laughs) right i mean for me it's dave mustaine as well and and you know 
it's it's one of those things like you said he is megadeth megadeth is him you know and there's there's no two ways about it uh, you know i i i always question like you know when bands become corporations you know it's usually a partnership four guys if in the band or five guys depending you know 25% 20% whatever it is i want to know how his works because you know his obviously the the original band was only together for two albums right and then uh, then the third album comes and it's a completely different band for two of the players. So 50% of the band is, is gone. And at that point, is it, is it just him and junior as a partner, you know, and then the other two guys are hired guns or, or, you know, how does it come down? You know, does it change when they put the rest of the, the, the classic era lineup that we're talking about now, is that now become, do they, they reform a corporation to become a, a partnership? Who knows? It's, 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 yeah, I don't no know idea. how, like, I know the business of, of most of the other bands because it's kind of obvious, but, mm-hmm. you know, this Megadeth one has always been kind of curious for me because it's always been Dave and Dave from the beginning, you know, first two albums were the same band. And then after that, it's been a change on, on a regular basis, you know, and then all of a sudden Megadeth puts you know, or Dave puts Megadeth to rest and Dave Jr. leaves and then doesn't come back. And then there's all sorts of legal issues. And then he eventually comes back, but I don't, he did not come back as a partner. So he was, he was, Mm. he was a hired gun. So I don't know, weird, weird thing, but yes, Dave, (laughs) Dave Mustaine is the MVP of that band. You know, it's his, it's his songwriting. It's his, vision it's his vocal style like you just mentioned you know some people might not like his vocal style i think most people if they like megadeth they accept the vocals because it's it's megadeth that that's their style you know sort of like if you yeah. if you like accept or if you like acdc you like it because that's the style you like if you don't like acdc it's probably because that's the, just you don't want to hear those kinds of vocals <laughs> you know? so like my wife doesn't like iron maiden because she doesn't like bruce dickinson you know i don't know why i haven't last exactly you know <laughs> but so so we we specified before we started with anthrax who the band was so just to reiterate uh, this oh. classic lineup was Dave Mustaine on guitar and vocals, David Ellefson on bass, Nick Menz on drums, and Marty Friedman on guitars. Right. So, out of those four guys, you know, you know I chose Dave as well. Um, so, for LVP, what do you got? Um, so this was a really tough one. I it, it was because I went back and forth between uh, two of the guys, and it I mean, it's. It's really tough because you think about like like I said, there this is a really solid unit. These four guys are all immense players. Um, but it boiled down to me to like how interesting the parts were. And um, you know, for me, Dave Ellefson was like he's so integral to the personality of of Megadeth. It's weird sometimes to think he's no longer in the band, um, but that's just the truth. Like it's just it is that way, um, and it's it's no slight to um, uh, James James Lomenzo, great player. I think he fits in very well. But I when I think of Megadeth, I think of Dave and Dave. 
Um, so my choice was was Nick Menza. Um, I I love his drumming. I think he is in a a monster drummer. Um, but for me, um, uh, it was just part part of like it's you're not gonna pick Marty Friedman. I mean, <laughs> Marty is is just one of the greatest guitarists of all time. Um, his contributions on these four albums are are paramount. And um, and then I thought about with Dave, like I thought sometimes you know maybe because you don't hear the bass as much on on some of the albums, um, but no, like those parts are are amazing. Like if I listen to it in my car, I hear the bass parts just fine, um, you know, and they're they're very complicated. And he plays it like you know like a third guitarist sometimes. Like it, it's it, he he's an amazing bass player. Um, even the stuff that he wrote for the new album that he didn't play, like it's great stuff. And so like, I really thought about it. And despite Nick being probably my favorite drummer that they've ever had, um, you know, maybe, maybe Dirk Verburen, you know, ranks up there. Um, but, um, yeah, it was tough, but like, I had to go with Nick. You know, I, I, uh, I, I was contemplating the same thing and I, I just started thinking about, you know, Nick's drum sound and, and the thing that the things that he's done with those, those albums, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I love his work on rust in peace, you know, oh, it, yeah. it's, it's just amazing, phenomenal drum work. And so I'm like, how, you know, how do I devalue that per se, you know? For for I know if it, it feels like you're devaluing it when right, you exactly. say it, but like <laughs> so I mean I, I I must say Megadeth was the hardest out of the four bands for me to pick a least valuable. Agreed. Um, but I chose Junior. Um, okay, because you know for me Dave Ellison, um, you you're you're right on when you say his his bass playing was was you know just complicated and he he plays it with ease um it's it's almost like you know the back of his hand type of situation you know but you know so nick menza was a a credible drummer you know and the stuff he did every time he was he was behind the kit for megadeth it was just amazing you know of course marty you you just sit there and say well how could he be the least important because his 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 guitar work and his solos were just amazing but for me i think i think um with nick i mean not with excuse me with with dave ellison uh, i felt like can someone else play his parts obviously someone else can play his parts can someone else play nick's parts if someone else plays nick's parts there it's not going to sound like nick but i think that's if, fair if think yeah. if someone else plays dave's parts it still sounds like dave's parts you know what i'm saying so so i get that yeah i think the uniqueness of nick's playing over out or outweighed the the lack of uniqueness on on dave's even though dave is playing complicated stuff you know like if if you told if if you know if steve de gregorio was a Right, as I said, the, the Gorgo- yeah. <laughs> Giorgio. Oh, yes, yeah, right. yeah, I was gonna say DiGiorno. <laughs> I like I said, I always forget his name. Uh, <laughs> if, if he if he was the original bass player, he would have parts that you have to kind of like figure out and live up to, 
right? Those his bass playing is so unique and different, you know. And yeah, and at, he was the one who played the replacement parts on the new album. So, it, it that's that's his. You know, he's got such a different style. And and again, I'm not trying to take anything away from Dave because Dave is such a good player. You know, and it's like I said, this was the most difficult because you're talking about four guys who pretty much are virtuosos of their instrument and are really, really solid back there. Yeah. You know, so, um, but I had to, I picked Dave on that one. Junior. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's funny because it's like, we're talking about the least valuable player, but they're still all amazing. Right. Exactly. You know, it's, it's not, it feels in this instance, especially, it feels like you're devaluing one of the players, but it's you know, it's just you got to pick one, right? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to do it as an insult. That's for sure. Oh, of course not. Yeah. All right. So, so what do you got for Slayer? Slayer. Oh, let's well, let's let's mention. So Slayer's classic lineup is going to be Tom Araya on vocals and bass, Kerry King on guitars, Jeff Hanneman on guitars, and Dave Lombardo on drums. And uh, that would be Show No Mercy, Hell Awaits, Rain and Blood, South of Heaven, Seasons in the Abyss, and then later Christ Illusion and World Painted Blood, same lineup. So what do you have for Slayer? And they, he also did the, uh, oh, that classic band also did the uh, Haunting the Chapel EP. Oh, true. Yeah. Um, so for me, so this one was weird. This one was a little different. Um, the players are different for sure. My MVP is Dave Lombardo. Um, okay. And, and that's not to take anything away from Jeff Hanneman because Jeff Hanneman, I know was very, very important to um, the overall feel and style of Slayer, but Dave Lombardo gave Slayer that unique sound behind the drum kit. He has a swing to his playing that is almost uh how would you say it's 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 hard to replicate the way he swings because he's not a classically taught kind of drummer and plus um, since he's cuban there's a a a danceable vibe that's in his dna um that comes out in his music and so he has a very unique style of playing and it shows and because of that, to me, those albums, especially, you know, stuff with, uh, you know, Rain and Blood and, and then, you know, South of Heaven and Season of the Abyss, those three albums most, um, most show that because he, I don't know if it was, he was given more freedom or what, but, you know, he, the, the first two albums, there's this kind of like, you know, your the the youthfulness you can you can feel in in uh in the first in the first two albums you know between show no mercy and hell awaits and and even uh haunting the chapel there's a there's a consistency but when rain and blood comes all of a sudden it's just like where you know this drumming is amazing plus it was a lot more clear and you can hear, yeah. you can hear more. The production was so much better on Rain and Blood and South of Heaven Seasons in the Abyss that you can actually feel and and uh, appreciate Dave's playing. So that for me is is the reason why he's the MVP of Slayer's classic era. Okay, um, I was kind of laughing because you you said there's a danceable 
you know, quality to his playing. And it's a hundred percent true, but I was just picturing people dancing at a Slayer concert and it just kind of made me laugh. <laughs> um, uh, so my MVP is different. Uh, I picked Jeff Hanneman. Um, and I totally see your reason for Dave Lombardo. I mean, it, like he's my favorite drummer in, in Slayer period. Um, and I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, it's just for me, Jeff, like he's the main songwriter. He was the main lyricist for, for most of the, the time he's in the band. Um, you know, it, you look at like, say, uh, rain and blood. Most of that album was written by Jeff Hanneman, uh, South of heaven. Uh, he, you know, collaborated more with, with Tom Mariah, uh, collaborated more with Carrie King. Um, you know, but for the most part, like he, he was, he was the guy in that band. Um, you know, when, when he passed away, uh, that there was a hole left in that band, you know, for real. Um, and it, it never quite, you know, recovered because Carrie and Tom didn't get along. Like they were, they were buds through, through Jeff in a way, you know, like they're, they're, if you're, if you're a comic fan and you're a fan of like, uh, old comics, like, uh, the Green Lantern was friends with Green Arrow and he was friends with, with the Flash. But they, the Flash and Green Arrow weren't always the best of friends. You know, and it, it, like, uh, Jeff was kind of that Green Lantern. He was the guy in between that, that held everything together. And the band, you know, it did continue on past his death, but, but not for tremendously long because it just, it just wasn't the same without him. Um, you know, Jeff was a phenomenal player. His riffs are just amazing. Um, you know, his lyrics were great and really set the tone for the band. And for me, he's just, like, when I think of Slayer, like yeah, a lot of people, I think, think of Carrie. I think of Jeff. Well, you know, so the funny thing about with Jeff, it's funny because he's the lesser of the accomplished guitar players in the in the band and i'm not i'm not trying to take anything away from jeff's abilities because he gave he he grew into his instrument where carrie already was more accomplished and so mm -hmm. so carrie had the better solos but jeff jeff's style because he was more punk influence you know caused him to be faster and it caused him to be harder and 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 he was the main influence so it was crazy to think about, you know, him being quote unquote the least accomplished of the of the musicians having the biggest influence on the on the on the band. So it's pretty wild. Yeah, I mean there there's definitely a punk influence on those early albums. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean even even as far as as you know, Rain and Blood, there is punk aspects to that. I mean you you listen to the just the very start of the album that that like that riff that you know, it's just it's just speed, you know. Right. And and you're right. Like Carrie came in with with a little bit more flair, um, but for me, like when I think of the, the the style of Slayer, it's really influenced by Jeff's playing. No, absolutely. I mean, it, and his songwriting. You know, he was a major major influence in that songwriting. So mm -hmm. it's pretty wild. All right. So the least valuable player for me in slayer i think it kind of you you know if you if you've listened to this conversation for the last five minutes or whatever it has been um we didn't mention this guy too much and i to me tom Araya is probably the least valuable player um 
Although it's kind of weird because he's the voice of Slayer. He's the one that everyone hears. Um, so how is that, you know, how is that being the least valuable player? Well, in my opinion, it comes down to his bass playing. Um, I've never heard what his what his bass playing sounds like. <laughs> I mean, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, most of his bass playing is in line with the guitars. Um, they're you know they're they're not a traditional you know rhythm section kind of you know guitars and stuff like that. But at the same time, I've I've never heard his bass playing. <laughs> I mean, and it's I when I say it that way, it's like you can hear the bass in in just about everything that's out there in metal. Um, a lot of bands, you know, replicate the bass replicates what the guitar, the rhythm guitar is playing, but there's times where you, you know, it breaks down and you hear a difference. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard a breakdown in, in Slayer where the, the, the bass comes out and you start hearing the bass by itself. I don't, I mean, I have, I'll be honest. I have not listened to every single Slayer song out there. Um, there was a point in time where Slayer just, you know, dropped off my map and they have, they're still trailing behind, but I, I don't think that's in their style to have that kind of breakdown in the song. And I'm not talking about like the, the typical breakdown, like in a, in a new metal song, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm talking where, where there's a, a break in the song where there's no drums and no guitar and it's just a, or drums and bass together, you know? I don't think they have that. Yeah. You know, now when you think about it, so it's hard to sit there and say, Oh yeah. You know, unless you're listening to isolated tracks, which maybe you have, I don't know. I haven't gone that far to, to, I have, <laughs> so I haven't gone that far to hear his bass lines. Um, but I don't see them being extremely complicated, you know, from, so I don't know. I um, could be absolutely wrong, but that's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, absolutely wrong. No. Um, so, I, I went in a different direction. Um, so I, I would disagree a little bit with, with, I mean, you're, yes, they're not the most complicated parts. Um, but I've, I've always heard his, his bass parts in the songs, um, you know, listening through, through either speakers or headphones or whatever in my car. Um, you know, the bass part to me rings out pretty clearly. Um, but I, I can see where you're coming from as well. Like, it, I mean, the Slayer was a little bit not. It wasn't hard for me, but I can see how different people would have different strong opinions about it, right? Like, because each member of the band really does bring something interesting. Like when I think of of Slayer, like Tom Mariah, like his vocals to me resonate really well with the band. Like, I hear him, and I I know it's Slayer. Like, there's there's no doubt in my mind. Uh, Kerry King, he's always been kind of like the image of the band in some way. Like he, you know, he has the tattoos on his head. He's, he, he has a very, you know, stoic look. He is, he's recognizable. He does interviews, things like that. And like, he, he just has this like great attitude that just is so metal. Uh, Jeff, you know, he's, he's the songwriter. He's the guy kind of behind the scenes. Um, but like he was the glue of the band. And like you said, Dave Lombardo just had this, this style to him that that makes them sound unique um but for me like when i really thought about it and like i i feel like a lot of times that that carrie is is the lvp to me um you know because 
he yes, he does have better solos, and he does have like you know really good playing capabilities. Uh, but for me, when I think about the sound of Slayer, like I think Dave Lombardo brings more to the table. I think Tom Mariah to me is the sound, the voice. Um, you know, he's very unique in his sound, and especially like the way he, um, you know, um, the cadence in which he sings. Like, I, I think he has a really unique style to him. And for me, like, you know, that scream that, that you know, in, um, uh, what's the freaking song called? Um, Is it Rain of Blood or Angel of Death? Angel of Death. I mean, either one really but you know like it's just like that sound to me is like so essential to to slayer and like when i think about like what part could be replaced by another like skilled guitarist is you know carrie's part um so it's really hard to pick because i think all four of that uh, that lineup you know are essential in my love for slayer um, and it, it really takes nothing away from him because like I said, like all four are great. Um, but he, for me is like of the four, you know, I feel like he's the least essential. <laughs> I, I just remembered that I, I was showing my daughter the other day, my clash of Titans tour book. And I have Carrie King's signature in there. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I, I met him backstage at the Miami arena. Um, during the clash of Titans and he was trying to leave and he couldn't find the right exit door. So we're, <laughs> yeah. Cause you were blocking it with your, your book. <laughs> <laughs> so he, <laughs> he was just like, how do I get out of this place? You know? And, and he was looking for his tour bus, but it's not this door behind me. Can you sign this? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, that's really cool. Like I, 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 I I think like when I think of Slayer now, especially like Kerry King, that to me that's his band, you know. Now, right. But like back then, if I'm thinking about the classic lineup, this again, this is my opinion of the classic lineup. No, I, I get you. You know, I I, I like Kerry. Kerry's a cool guy. I mean, he's he yeah he basically took over Megadeth when. When Jeff passed away, <laughs> we, you mean uh, Slayer? <laughs> oh, Megadeth, I'm Slayer. So yes, so he took over uh, Slayer he, when, for that like week. He was in Megadeth. Yeah, he took it's, over. Funny, it's funny because I'm looking at his his Wikipedia page and he says formerly of Slayer and formerly of Megadeth. <laughs> <laughs> so. So yeah, no, he, when, when, when Jeff passed away, he, he definitely, you know, took the reins for Slayer and was besides, you know, he, he, be, he became a bigger mouthpiece for Slayer. Oh, even before that. I mean, he started writing a lot of the, the lyrics later on. Um, if you're a fan of like the, the era where they were doing a little bit more new metal, like he, he really took the reins and started doing a lot of the, the songwriting in that time period. So it, it just depends on your your you know favorite era of of uh, Slayer like Christ Illusion, which I think is a great album. He uh, he's the primary songwriter, right? So it just depends on the era of the band. Like I said, okie dokie. All right, so we're down to Metallica. You knew we were getting there. <laughs> so Metallica, if you don't know. Um, James Hetfield on vocals and rhythm guitars, 
Kirk Hammett on lead guitars, Lars Ulrich on drums, and Jason Newstead on bass. Or not on bass if you're listening to Injustice for All. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yes, uh, everything from Injustice for All through S&M was that lineup of the band. I think in, in a lot of people's mind, that was the, you know, the classic lineup that a lot of people grew up with. Um, obviously, you know, some of the classic albums with Cliff before that, but that was a very short period of time, unfortunately. And then now, I mean, uh, Rob Trujillo has been in the band longer than Jason, um, but they've put out, you know, far less output during that time. So for us, the classic lineup is the Jason era of the band. I agree. I agree. So, uh, for my MVP, I'm going with, uh, James Hetfield. Me too. It might, it, it might seem like the easy one and that's for a reason. That's because James is the primary songwriter. Um, he is, uh, the artiste of the band really. in in my eyes, um, he is the voice of the band in many ways. He was, he was the, uh, the dictator for many years. Um, but he, he wanted things his way and he got the sound that he wanted. And, and, you know, that's is, it was his way or the highway in a, a lot of ways. And it worked. And they're one of the biggest bands in the world. Um, and you know, when I, when I think of Metallica, I think of, yeah, you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, who else does that in the band? Nobody. That's, that's James. Um, but James has a very unique voice. He's an amazing rhythm guitarist, like one of the best in the world. Um, you know, he, he is just like, he's a cool dude with a great personality too. And that band wouldn't exist without him. Like if you, if you thought of, like, if you had to lose any member of that band, you could not lose James and Metallica continue on i would i mean you could easily debate that you could lose you couldn't lose anybody else either um but i i disagree like i think if it, there's a way to continue on like like i don't think you can there's some bands like i just don't think you can replace that one guy and I, and god forbid you ever had to um but like uh james is that guy like he is metallica in my eyes and he is he's just an amazing guy no, he's absolutely irreplaceable. I mean, to, if if you believe the rumors that have spread over the years that Metallica was going to fire Lars when they returned home from from uh, Europe after the mm-hmm. yeah, after the beginning of the Master of Puppets tour, then you know uh, you can tell that he was expendable. Um, obviously, they had fired Dave Mustaine; he was expendable. Um, I think the, uh, at that time, the one person besides James who wasn't expendable happened to be the one who passed away. And that was Cliff. Cliff. I would agree with that sentiment. Because he, he was their, he was their musical guiding light. I mean, he taught them about composition. He taught them all sorts of different things about how to write songs, but yeah. not just like, I mean, obviously look. We all know that that James wrote, you know, um, uh, Motor Breath. We know he wrote Hit the Lights, you know. But th- those are, you know, when you s- sit there and hear those songs, they're relatively simple. 
it's when Cliff joined the band where you hear the complexity of songs and, and the song structures change. You know, it's Cliff's fault that they sold out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, that 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 you saw the progression. Now you see Cliff's influence on Ride the Lightning and Master Puppets. Okay. And so with with so Lars is expendable. So Jay obviously James is not expendable. James is the main riff writer. James is is the modern day Tony Iommi. You know, if you want to look at it that way. Or you know, I can I can see that. You know, I can or see you that can even sure. or you can if if you want to the American he's the American Tony Iommi or he's the he's the thrash Tony Iommi or you could call him the the let's say you know the the 80s or 90s the the, the modern era of, of of metal if you want to look at it that way uh that that version's tony whatever it is because tony you know he bows to tony i mean james bows to, 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 to tony and you know everyone talks about how tony is the master riff writer but you know no one talks as much about james and his his riffing and and the riffs that he's come up with i mean they're pretty pretty fucking impressive you know if you ask me I would agree with that. Oh, yes, yeah. I, I agree with you and your sentiment. He is irreplaceable in that band. The band, if he if he was gone, Metallica wouldn't exist. I mean, the voice, the rhythm. Um, look, we all know that when you look at the songwriting credits, it says Hetfield Ulrich, right? And everyone's mm-hmm. just saying, what the hell does Lars contribute? You know, a lot of people, you know, think, well, he's a songwriter. Well, he wrote the song. No. He didn't write the damn song. He is the one who takes everything, gets the big pile of shit of all the riffs, the big pile of shit of all the 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 different structures that they, they, they and he, that they get on tape. And he's the one who says, "All right, this part goes here, that part goes there. Let's put." He arranges. Yeah, he's yeah. he is the arranger, but he's also the guy who has to listen to it all. <laughs> so, um, you know. So he takes he takes James's riff and he and and he's the one who deciphers with a D E at the beginning. <laughs> he deciphers. He, he doesn't cipher. No, it. He doesn't cipher. He deciphers. That's a, that's an inside joke. That's, there. It's an inside joke from our job. Um, and so yeah, he deciphers all of James's riffs, and he's so that's his contribution as a songwriter. Um, and then of course, you know, if it's, if it's uh, Kirk's riff, then they give him credit for coming up with the riff a la enter Sandman. But if you notice enter Sandman is written by Hetfield Ulrich Hammett. Okay. And it's because Hetfield didn't necessarily come up with the main riff, but he's the one with all the lyrics. Ulrich is the one who ranges it. And, you know, the, the riff three times in a row and then the little tail at the end, that's Hammett. So, um, that's how they put that together. The only album that they've ever, uh, all four guys have gotten songwriting credits on all four songs, or I'm excuse me, on all on every song in the album, excuse me, was uh death magnetic. Did you know that? Oh, really? Okay. I did not yeah, know that. No. They, they basically gave you. I probably knew that at some point. They but- gave each other songwriting credits across the board um, on Death Magnetic. Um, okay. at, so almost like, a, like a, a, a new band's partnership. Or like Rush, where they would do that. You know, right. Even split. Yeah. Exactly. 
I think Mastodon does that as well. Yes, Mastodon does it. But it's funny. It says, all lyrics written by James Hetfield, all music composed by Hetfield, Ulrich, Hammett, and Trujillo, which has not happened. Like, so, uh, what was it? Um, Hardwired was the first and only album to not have a single contribution from Kirk Hammett. So that's a, a you know, another odd oddity in, mm-hmm. in, the in the uh, songwriting process to the point where even Trujillo had credit on one song. But anyway, that, that's, uh, that is um, an aside that we don't need to keep going into. <laughs> James, <laughs> I mean, James Tedfield, yeah, definitely the MVP of that band. So who do you have as the LVP? Uh, for me, and, you know, it's, it's, I think, for me, it's it's pretty easy choice, which is is no slight to him. Again, is uh, Kirk Hammett. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you know Kirk is a great player. Um, he gets a lot of flack for his wah wah pedal playing, um, but he has a great attitude for the band. He's he's you know an interesting guy. Um, but I think when I, when I really listen to a lot of the music, I, I feel like a lot of players could do what he does. Um, as far as like with Metallica, um, what, what gives him the edge over a lot of other guys though, is he is very easygoing and his attitude, I think has, has worked really well with the band. Um, you know, James is very specific, very particular in what he wants. Um, and Kirk has the right attitude for that. You know, somebody like Dave, Dave Mustaine is an amazing player. Um, he would have never thrived in Metallica because there's too many strong personalities. Um, you know, today, who knows? Because, you know, people age and change. Um, but those guys at the age they were in 1982, it would have never worked, um, but That's Kirk had the right attitude to fit. I still don't think it would work. <laughs> no, I mean, not now. I'm saying, like, if they were older oh. by the time that they joined together the first time. You know, like, things things happen differently. People people age, and they, they grow, and they, they are different people. But um, things worked out the way they did, and Kirk came in, and he stepped in, and he was perfect for the band. That being said, like you said, Lars, he arranges things. His his drum playing is not perfect, but what it what it is is it's perfect for Metallica. It you know his sound is so recognizable. You know, being pushed all the way to the front, so many bands have mimicked that. And as much as I like to make fun of of Lars, just like anybody else, um, you know, he is one of the the guys in the band that is one of the least replaceable, especially now, if you think about it, yeah, maybe way back then, um, you know, in the early days, maybe replaceable back then, but by the time you got into the classic lineup, by the time you're, you're already at, um, you know, shit, uh, ride the lightning. I think he, he really isn't that replaceable. Um, and then, with Jason, especially when you're talking about the classic lineup, Jason held things together in in really tough times. 
you know his his vocals like yeah obviously they're not on the album but if you ever went to a a concert or have seen a concert when he was in the band you know he 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 was very important during the tour doing vocals like he had heavier vocals he played like a heavier style and you know he he like he did start or seek and destroy um you know things like that where like those are iconic moments of the band now um Jason is is far more important than just his playing. And so like for me when I think about like what he what he brought to the band and even like how much he affected the band upon his leaving he drastically changed them and allowed them to to probably, you know, course correct their lives. Um I think for me like he was just so important to Metallica. So, um, yeah, it's, it's tough to say because like, I really like Kirk, especially like as a person. Um, but for me, he was the LVP. I, I agree with you in, in, for a lot of the same exact reasons. Um, you know, Kirk gets a lot of flack for being a guitar player who was at, at one point considered, you know, one of the best guitar players in the world, you know, in, in the early to mid eighties. Um, but it was, he, he was, he was never a shredder he was a thrasher and he, he was, he was good at coming up with some riffs as well. You know, his, his lead playing is ideal for Metallica. Um, and over the years, it's been one of those, he's accepted and learned what's best for the song. And yeah, a lot of people, um, make fun of his Wawa playing, but you know what? Not, you know, as much as people make fun of Zach, you know, they don't make, they make fun of his pinch harmonics, but they still don't, it doesn't take away from the fact that he's an amazing guitar player, you know? So there's lots of things about Kirk that people will sit there and say, well, you know, he's not that great. He's not this, he's not that. And well, first of all, you're not doing it. Um, second of all, you know, it's, it's, he, he played, like, like you said, he's, he's right for Metallica for so many different reasons. And it, you know, when they, when they called him up and said, Hey, you know, uh, come out here, we're recording an album. And then when he got there, they finally told me you were in the band because that wasn't yeah, like, he didn't even audition. <laughs> he just, yeah. you know, it's like, Hey, do this album. And Oh, by the way, you're in the band. Um, I mean, chemistry accounts for a lot of things. Oh right? yeah, like, absolutely. You, like, you could have all the best players in a band, but if they don't have chemistry, if they can't, if they can't function together, then it's not going to work. Right. You know, no one, not a lot of people talk about the fact that Slash plays a lot of wah-wah. Hmm? Okay. So, you know, but obviously, you know, Slash is Slash. He does, but it's still, it's still not the no, same. It's, it, it's it, not as much as Kirk. But you know what? The th the thing with Kirk is it it is a it's not just there. It's like you can't avoid the sound of his wah wah. Like yeah, you're right. Slash plays, but he also plays slower. Whereas like you know the the wah sound like say on um oh shoot, what's the name of the song? I could I um, no, uh, what's the one where he's playing in in the desert uh, on the video? Oh, uh, and the it's November the wedding rain. Uh, November November rain, rain right? It, like his solo is is full of wah wah pedal, but it's also like it's it's done in such a way 
that is a little bit slower and more pronounced uh, rather than wow, 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 you know, like, like it's, it's. No, I know what you're saying. It's, it's more not melodic, as, that's for sure. Yeah, it's it's not as like in your face. Like the wah wah pedal is is almost like he's he's you know um, tapping his foot to the, the beat. You right. know. <laughs> well, you know, everyone has their signature sound. They're they're uh, agreed. It's Kirk's. Yeah. You know. So, I'm just saying that's that's why it's more recognizable. Like nobody talks about Slash because it's it's not the same thing. You know. Right. You know, everyone has to remember Jim, Jimi Hendrix plays a shit ton of wah as well. So anyway, oh, yeah. it doesn't matter. Um, I But I agree with you in, in the fact that, that Kirk Hammett would be the, the least valuable. And and when it comes to why why it's not Jason, for pretty much the same reasons you said, but I can hear, you know, it's funny, like you can't hear the bass in And Justice for All. You, you quite honestly... You can't really hear it too much in Master of Puppets either, or Ride the Lightning. You know, it's just that that because Cliff played with such distortion and he 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 came out and played lead bass, if you want to put it like that, his bass lines were more distinctive than Jason. Mm-hmm. So that's why you can you can hear his playing a little bit more. It cuts through. Yeah, but you can hear Jason's bass all over uh, load and reload. Oh, no, no, of like course. I mean, the production... Yeah, it's a whole different story. The pr- yeah, the yeah. production was a different story. But, you know, like, if you're paying attention, you can hear his bass line in one. Why? Because the song is quieter and it's and it's, there's different parts to it that you can catch the bass line. But when, it, yeah. when they're just playing rhythm and, you know, he's playing along with James, there's, there's no way to discern his bass line. Um, but that's that was Bob Rock's goal when he... When he uh, decided to produce the band was to figure out a way to get Jason to be heard. And if, and if it was for <laughs> James and Lars, it would not have happened. That's probably true. <laughs> you know? So anyhow, um, that is, uh, that is our LVPs and MVPs of the big thrash, the big four thrash bands. I got to say this. There's going to be a lot of people out there who listen to this. are going to sit there and say that fucking guy, Kenneth Dean is crazy ass. He goes, what? How could he be saying that shit? Well, you know what? It's my opinion. <laughs> exactly, and I welcome. I mean, look, it's, <laughs> it's, I welcome the debate. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally welcome it because people are going to sit there and say, "What the hell are you guys talking about?" Well, you know what? We sit when we do these shows, we, we, we come up with a topic, and we really break it down. We try to sit there and, and really, really think about it and and give a thought out answer. These are not just answers, you know, off the top of our head. You know, when you think about certain Cause things, you suck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cause you suck. You know, when you think about those things, it's like, Oh yeah, well maybe you're right. And maybe not, you know, and you could still have a difference of opinion, but I, I want you guys out there listening to have that difference of opinion. Not because you think, Oh, cause he sucks or cause he's cool. But because you really sat down and listened to it and say, you know what? I disagree with you because I think he's this way. Or I agree with you because I think he's this way. You know? That's just that's all we ask. That's all we ask. All right. This brings us to the big four. And tonight's big four is our favorite 
musician <laughs> from the big four bands, and it has to be in order. When, and that's not going to be the title that I'm going to put down on. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to put that full title. Well, that's that like, you just said that's on. like the, the, the Steve Harris. The Steve Harris one was so fucking long. <laughs> I, it's probably like Big Four. Big Four favorite big favorite four members of the Big Four. <laughs> I, I, I have it down as Big Four favorite Big Four musician. There you oh. go. That's a good one. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. uh, do you want me to go first? Or you want to go first? Uh, sure. Go ahead. All right. <clears throat> So this is my favorite musician in the big four in each of the bands. And then the bands go by from least favorite to favorite. Okay. So number four for me is Kerry King this is my favorite person in Slayer. Uh, he's the mouthpiece of Slayer. He's got the look. He's the one who made sure that nobody smiled on stage. <laughs> so <laughs> true. He, he is, he is the, he is the man behind Slayer. Um, and he's just, He's just cool. I like him. And then he's coming out with a new band next year. So hopefully um, it'll be pretty cool. It supposedly is supposed to sound like Slayer. <laughs> so, all right. Number three. I've been hearing that for three years I now. Know, I need right? it to happen. Yeah. I mean, come on already. All right. Number three for me is Dave Ellison. He is my favorite member of Megadeth. Um, just because dude he's had to put up with dave mustaine for a long time <laughs> and now that he's free he goes to a metallica show and then puts on his instagram now i get to wear my metallica shirts <laughs> you know and he's been friends with those guys for such a long time but wasn't allowed to really say it publicly and that's just one of those weird things you know i don't even know if he was not allowed to it was more of like let's keep the peace and just not say it you know, it's not like, I don't think there was a kibosh. Oh, on. no. I think it was just the path of least resistance, right? Exactly. <laughs> but in the end, it, it, it comes down to, I'm not allowed to say this. Otherwise, there's going to be a big old argument between me and exactly. me and my boss. <laughs> you know? uh, that was that's that was my marriage in a nutshell. So, like, I, I get it. <laughs> All right. Number two for me, Charlie Benante from Anthrax. Um I don't know what it is about me and Charlie. Um, we actually had like a, an email thing going back uh, in the day when uh, I had AOL. And um, he's from Yonkers. Or actually, he's not from Yonkers. They're from the Bronx. Um, but they, um, they had their warehouse in Yonkers for a long time. So they were always in and out of Yonkers. So when uh, I got to talking to him um, via email or chatting with him via email, we, that was one of the things that we had in common, obviously that we were, we were both from the area. So we talked a little bit about that at the time, but then uh, I think the fire happened and all that shit. So it was just really, uh, and then I lost AOL or I didn't lose it. I just gave it up. So I never got you back. lost it in the fire. <laughs> I, I lost AOL in the fire. I lost, I lost that CD, that, that CD they give out. I lost it. <laughs> The, the one they gave out like 500 of. Oh, I know, right? Every magazine you had a copy of AOL. Well, you know what? Netscape Navigator did the same shit too, so. All right. Oh, wow. You're really doing yourself there. <laughs> hey, by all means. All right. And number one for me is my favorite big four thrash musician is James Hetfield. Um, I have this magnetism towards James. Um, I just really, really admire i mean i've never ever in my life 
ever said someone was my hero when it came to a baseball player or a musician. Because those are the ones that I I look up to the most. But not not even Enrique Iglesias. No. Not even. <laughs> <laughs> but in in so if if I was to call anyone my hero, if I was to sit there and say there was a musician that was my hero, it would be James Hetfield. Um I've just always admired everything about what he's done for done and does in Metallica. So that's that's my number one. Okay. Um so my number four is Dave Lombardo. Um, I did not pick him as my MVP, but he is my favorite player in, in Slayer. Uh, player in Slayer. Ha ha. Um, so he, like, he really, for me, makes the sound of Slayer. A lot of the things that you mentioned earlier, just that, that sound, just, it wasn't the same with Paul Ball. There, there's like, a swing think, to his style. That, that's the exactly. word you use. Yeah, and it's just like Dave brought so much to establishing what Slayer was and and making them have a unique sound. And sure, he didn't have all the songwriting credits and everything like that, but I feel like I've always felt like Dave got a raw deal. It, because it's like sometimes you get in your head, you know, oh, oh I deserve all the credit for this and that when there's so much more nuance to what makes a band great. And Slayer has never been the same since they didn't have Dave Lombardo. The best albums that they've ever put out had him on there. So um, my number three is Dave Mustaine. Um, I know I, I know you always had issues with them. Like, I know you like Dave, but at the same time are annoyed by him. Um, but I, th- I think I just, I kind of understand Dave, you know, like, and I and I understand these guys that go through um, just so much of wanting everything just right, and it being you know your band and your your art, and I I get it. Um, Dave has his faults for sure, um, <laughs> a lot plenty of them, um, but I can't deny like Megadeth is is one of my favorite bands. I love the sound. And through every incarnation with different musicians, Megadeth hasn't really changed a whole lot as far as like, yeah, they've gone in different ways and different styles. And you can, you can point to this album or that album as, you know, ones that go too far out of range. But I mean, just not too, too long ago, they put out, I mean, what was it? 2012, they put out, uh, uh, dystopia. And I, wow, that is a long God, time ago. Actually, was it that long ago? Was it? Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, regard- no, dystopia came out twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Okay. Yeah, but still, that's a long time ago. I mean, oh already- yeah, yeah, that's right. My timeline was off. I was trying to think of where I was at the time it came out. Yeah, that's still right. Okay, so twenty sixteen. Still seven years ago. Um, but regardless, t- you know, seven years ago, you like a lot of bands you reach that far along in their career and you put out an album and it's like, you know, I don't really care about the new stuff, but yeah, like for me, the last couple albums have been great. So, um, you know, I I know Dave has his demons and, and I always hope that people get through all the things that they, they, they deal with. But, um, for me, like I just, I, I like 
Megadeth so much, and he's just such a huge part of that. Uh, my number two um, went in a little bit different direction for Anthrax. I picked John Bush. Um, you know, John for me was what made me like Anthrax. Uh, his voice, his style, that that you know first album with John on it, um, the Sound of White Noise. It's just for me, it's like a landmark album. And I didn't like Anthrax as a kid, really. And and part of that was that I just didn't appreciate Joey Belladonna in the way that I do now. Um, he, you know, that sound just didn't appeal to me when I was younger. And when I heard, you know, we did a whole episode about this, you know, talking about which version of Anthrax we liked. Um, and it was a very long time ago. Um, but uh, for me, John was that that, like what brought me into liking anthrax and i just like him in general like you know his stuff with armored saint um you know he he's a really cool dude i've loved every inter interview i've heard with the guy and um you know for me when i when i think about like what brought me into to anthrax it was john and my number one um you know i had to think about this for a while because i you know i'm just gonna throw out a, a a not really honorable mention but i, w I was going to pick cliff here and and part of that was that like those early albums um you know talking about cliff and and you know dealing with with um you know friends that i had in high school that had passed away um you know part of that was was you know being able to relate on that level there was there was some kind of you know mysticism even and, and, you know, this guy that was such an influence and he passed away. But then I really thought about it. And um, for me, you know, especially, you know, seeing how he's evolved over the years and, you know, who the man that this guy has become through, you know, trials and tribulations and all the things that, that you know, they've gone through. Um, I also picked James. Um, James, for me, like you're right like he's the sound of the band he is the the auteur like he he is he is metallica in so many ways and it's not just that it's his journey like you know you go through life and you you either let it kick your ass or you don't because life is really tough and this guy has just gone through it and he has come out on the other side much better for it you know, they just put out 72 seasons, and I, I really, in so many ways, thinks that that is James' album, and um, it's amazing. Like, it's so good. It, it, I was, I wasn't surprised, and I, and I, and in some level, I was surprised to see it was my my number one album that I played on my uh, my YouTube music account this year. Um, so. You know, it's it's crazy to see because I at, at one point I thought that would never happen again. You know, Metallica at one point was my favorite band. They're not so much now, but um, I'm so happy that they have put out an album that I just love. And it's so cool to to experience that again and to kind of like go back and, and you know, feel so strongly about something that you cared about so much before. So James for me, yeah, definitely number one. Cool. Very cool. Um, you know, I've never, it's so funny. You and I have talked about this all the time. You know, Dave Mustaine is, I, I, I like the guy, but he drives me nuts. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. I like your list. Uh, John Bush. I've met John Bush. I've hung out with him. He's pretty cool, dude. Um, I, you know, I remember when he joined Anthrax, I was so excited because I really, really liked his voice. Uh, I was a big fan of Armored Saints. Um, they had just released um, Symbol of Salvation, and the album was just amazing. And I'm like, oh, he's perfect for Anthrax because that's what they were looking for, that kind of voice. But, you know, from the from not necessarily from the minute that he joined, but from the minute that the touring cycle for um, spread, uh, Sound of White Noise was over, Anthrax was in trouble. Actually, before that, even when when they tried to release Black Lodge as a single, Anthrax was in trouble because they had momentum different ways, and and we've read we've heard about that, and it went sideways almost from the beginning. Oh, John, yeah. John joining, and it's kind of like man, it just sucks because he deserves so much better. So yeah, so that's our um, big four favorite big four band members (laughs) and i want to remind everyone out there if you like what you heard today click like or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you can get our latest episode as soon as it's posted and while you're at it leave a review or rating so we know how we're doing in your eyes or ears and don't forget to leave us a comment on facebook instagram and twitter or send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com YouTube viewers, click subscribe and ring the bell to be notified when we post a new episode. So remember to tune in next time when we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe and always turn it up to 11. See ya!